Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tana. And I'm Kervin. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Sorry, I'm leaving it in. Usually, we're right next to each other. We're not usually right next to each other when we record. So him being loud is kind of annoying to me. <laughs> but anyways, today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of this week. But first, we really would love to hear from our listeners and what everyone would like to hear more of or any questions related to the current state of geopolitical affairs, you know, anything like that. Um, as always, you can find our email in the show notes, and we look forward to hearing from you. We do. Um, if you hear motorcycles in the background, that's not our fault. We are at Bike Week. Not on purpose. <laughs> and then if you hear the pitter-patter of somebody walking around, that's Eleanor, that's who you dog. haven't been introduced to yet. Yeah, that's our dog. She's 12. And adorable, and because we're saying her name, she's currently looking up at us like, Mommy, Daddy, please pick me up. We'll see if that gets picked up on the mic, though. But, um, <laughs> well, just let's get into it, because okay. we have a lot that we need to do. Um, what is on your radar this week? All right, obviously we're going to do Russia-Ukraine, like we have done from the very start of that invasion. Uh, also, we have Putin meeting with Chinese President Xi. Um, we have a new conflict brewing in Asia and Europe, which oh, is good. We needed a new one. We just need everybody to hate each other. Back when Actually, we needed we a new one. We don't need that. Please stop. That was a joke. And that is going to be Armenia and Azerbaijan. Oh my gosh. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, there's also escalating conflict in Syria. Um, as well, Israel is asking the U.S. to start uh the, the Iran nuclear deal from scratch, to just completely wipe it away, start from scratch. Uh, we're going to go into Thailand, who has decided, they're going to decide later this month whether or not to oust the prime minister. Why wait a month? Just do it now. Yeah, well, so we'll get into why they have to wait the oh, month. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as we've been doing this month, we are doing uh, misinformation and how it can turn from just... Something that's like this cute little story into something that can become more violent. And we are going to talk about a revered historian that has turned to a Holocaust denier. I don't even know how to process that right well, now. That gets even worse as we get to it. So hmm. we'll talk about that at the end of this. I like how you keep things light. Yeah. You know, you're bringing levity to what's going on in the world right now. That's also a joke because he's not. He's just making us all feel sad, so he should be punished. Well, it's going to help everybody understand that even the most revered of historians can be wrong and put out misinformation. Okay, well, let's get to the big news coming out of the world war, the world of Ukraine. The, the war. war of Ukraine. Okay, sorry. So, yeah, so you wanted to bring, if you wanted something light, uh, 
if you support what Ukraine is doing in fighting back Russia, this is... Which we do, so we don't want that to be in question. Exactly. And this is a light story because um, this is the September to remember (laughs) for Ukraine. Um, First, they, you know, they spoke ad nauseum about a counteroffensive to retake the land in the Kherson region. Uh, But then, as we talked about last week, just over a month ago, Ukraine performed a surprise counteroffensive in the Kharkiv region, which has the Russian military scrambling. But obviously, the effects of that didn't happen until now, right? Right, yeah. The news came out until recently. Um, Yep. Well, can you speak about how Ukraine has been successful in these counteroffensives? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And it's, uh, I do want to reiterate what you just said. They've been successful in both counteroffensives. Okay. Um, the most surprising and interesting thing to me, though, has nothing to do with that surprise counteroffensive. Even though, you know, there are things that are interesting to me in that one, you know, like the fact that no one saw this coming. Right. It is going to be a case study. I was talking about this to someone else. Um, it's going to be a case study in operational security, what the military calls OPSEC, and counterintelligence uh, for all students of military planning. But uh, here is why I am more intrigued by the Kherson offensive. Um, and that's the one that wasn't a surprise offensive. So Ukraine released weeks of press about the planned counteroffensive. Um, And they didn't try to hide the fact that they were coming to take back that land. And they succeeded in liberating, you know, a thousand square miles of parts of that region, with Russia moving more troops in that area to counter the counteroffensive. So the fact that Ukraine was successful there should have the Russian military reassessing their plans in this conflict. But actually, if they don't want to reassess (laughs) it and go back home, we totally get it. You can do that, too. Ukraine hopes that you don't reassess anything. Yeah, don't reassess. Just go home. I will say that I'm going to caution some who feel as if this is the end of the line for Russia. Yeah. Because Putin has no regard for civilian human life. And the closer the Russian military is to defeat, the closer we get to those nuclear talks. Well, honestly, what I'm thinking is, I mean, so far, I feel like the people that Putin has sent out there to fight his war for him have voiced their displeasure. Definitely. They did not want to be there to begin with. And honestly, if you continue that way, all of y'all together, if you all band together, I'm not, yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You guys, if it is honestly true. If you band together, you can turn back the tide of this. Yeah, he's you one can, dude. He's just, he's one guy. And obvious, and also, his um, higher-up people, they're, Are, they're calling for his resignation now. Yep. So that's a major tide being turned. But what I well. do want to say is... He's crazy? Yes, he's crazy. <laughs> there, we could be at a point of nuclear right now. Well... Do you really think Putin will authorize a nuclear strike? Like I said before, Putin does not care about human life. He doesn't care about his own life. He only cares about his legacy. Which is doing so really well right now. <laughs> it's, it's not, but this, this right now isn't his legacy. He wants to be in the history books as the man who returned the former Soviet Union to its previous glory. He cannot do that if he's defeated in Ukraine. So he's not going to stop at anything to get there. 
So it's my belief that Ukraine will need better anti-missile equipment from NATO, the U.S., whoever, as this war drags on. And that's going to be because they need to save the lives of its own civilian population. Well, here's what I find interesting. After these setbacks for the Russian military, Putin and Chinese President Xi are set to meet. Could China actually be pulled into this war? So I'm going to say it's been my opinion from the start uh, that China is going to have to support Russia in order for Putin to see success in Ukraine. But then that would set all kinds of other things exactly. in play. Exactly. Yeah. But it is a win-win for China um, as they're, you know, they want to invade Taiwan. So the question becomes, when is Putin going to force Xi to support Russia militarily? And then does that make NATO get involved? So what did the two discuss in their face-to-face? All right. So the main topic was the war in Ukraine. And Putin said that he he understands that Xi had questions and concerns about the situation in Ukraine. But then he praised China's leader for what he said was, quote-unquote, a balanced position on the conflict. Now, my belief is that when Putin says that there's a balanced position on the conflict. He really means a pro-Russian position. Well, obviously, he's never hidden his feelings on that at all. Did they discuss anything else besides that? So after the Ukraine thing, they discussed the typical, quote, America is the root of all the problems in the world. Okay. We're just new. We're just new to this whole world conquering thing. That's all. And yeah, and they did all of that crap. Sorry. While China also refrained from openly committing militarily as of yet. Of course. So time is of the essence for Russia after the losses in both Kharkiv and Kherson. Um, So we're just going to keep a very close eye on this and we'll keep discussing what China's plans are here. Okay, well, let's get right into the other conflict brewing in the other former Soviet states. What is the latest in Azerbaijan, and can you give a brief history of the animosity between Armenia and Azerbaijan? And I am pretty sure I'm saying nope, that No, you've got it right. I'm going to use the Americanized I, I ha- version I of I have that. some things from Azerbaijan from my best friend's dad, who traveled all over the world. I have this robe, that robe that I have oh, wow. in the closet. I did Oh, I did. I knew that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're saying it correctly, and I'm going to say it in the Americanized way. Yes. Okay, Azerbaijan. You you got it right. I want to make, I do not want to mispronounce things, and I know I do it all the time, and I apologize for that. I just, I do not feel comfortable. (laughs) Like, I just feel like, no matter matter if if I'm trying to pronounce it correctly or not, it just doesn't feel right coming out of my mouth. Yeah. I get that. I feel bad. Like, I shouldn't be speaking these words. <laughs> but you're saying it right. Okay. And let's let's get that. Let's start with that. Okay. Um, so we're going to get to um, the history between the two countries. In, so this is going to be in modern times, which because there's tons of conflict um, throughout thousands of years. Of course. But we're going to go to the modern times, which dates to uh, 1988 and a dispute of ethnic and territorial regions. Um, It's called the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, um, named after the regions in dispute. 
1988, when an armed conflict took place that lasted until May 1994 between majority ethnic Armenians of that region and the Republic of Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan? Azerbaijan. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> we sound like we're making fun of it. I'm I not. I swear we're not. I say Azer, Azerbaijan yeah. just as an Americanized version, okay. and you say it correctly. Oh, okay. And I'm fine with that. Um, well, I, I guess it's just so... The yeah. ding-dongs. The ding-dongs know what country you're talking about. Me, particularly. And our kids. <laughs> and our kids, yes. <laughs> so, as the war progressed there... Now, remember, this is all happening as the Soviet Union is collapsing. So, it's yeah. 1988. Yeah. The wall in 1989, 1990 Um, The two countries entangled themselves in a, a protracted, undeclared war. Now, when the conflict ended... With a ceasefire in 1994, Armenian forces not only held that uh, Nagorno-Karabakh region, but also broad areas outside the territory borders. And even with the help of international mediators, the two countries were unable to resolve dispute about who owned what territories. Now, if you remember, in September of 2020, mm-hmm. Azerbaijan or Azerbaijan launched an operation called Iron Fist to reclaim control over Nagorno-Karabakh. Now, in six weeks of fighting, Azeri troops drove Armenian forces out of the controlled areas and also seized broad trunks of, I'm sorry, broad chunks of Nagorno-Karabakh. In uh, in November of that year, uh, this is 2020, Russia brokered a deal that allowed Azerbaijan to reclaim control of the areas occupied by Armenian forces outside the Gorno Karabakh. And that is stuff that they controlled for nearly three decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the two are at it again, with both sides blaming each other for starting hostilities. Yeah. So Armenia accuses Azerbaijan of an unprovoked attack, and Azerbaijan says it was responding to shelling by Armenian forces. So, as of right now, we have the Collective Security Treaty Organization, which is a Russian-formed grouping of several ex-Soviet nations, which includes Armenia. They have requested to mediate further, and so we're going to track this to see what the outcome of it is, because the outcome could fit with Putin's plan to return to the old Soviet Union. There you go. This is why we talk about this stuff. Because geopolitics, geo-global, they affect the globe in all of this. And these little conflicts that happen can affect affect globally what is going on in Ukraine, what could happen in places like Poland, Hungary, things like that. Finland. Finland. Um, So we're going to keep track of this because uh, though the two countries seem small, on a global scale, a win for Russia here could be a huge geopolitical boost for Vladimir Putin. Well, that would be a trajectory change with all this bad news. Um, for Russia. For Russia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we will continue talking about the conflict and move over to Syria, where you mentioned there is renewed violence in that war. Yeah. So, um, as a reminder, Syria has been in an 11-year battle, uh, and that is a battle with outside forces um, that 
I think has been forgotten with all the Russia Ukraine. Not think like we. You agree I, with that? I didn't even remember that there was yep. a battle until. Yeah. Now. So and that's that is a battle pitted between Russia, Syria, U.S., Turkey, all kinds of nations. So under the guise of all of that, we're we're going to talk about Syria um, and and how that is affecting everything in the region. Um, now, I do think that uh, this week I want to express what the United Nations is expressing to everybody in their fear that the Syria war, the Syrian war, is at risk of boiling up once again with a return to large-scale combat after several of the front lines that have kind of been peaceful in the last few years um, have flared up in recent months. Now, like I said, fighting cooled off in recently recent years, which hence the reason no one's talked about what's going on in that region. But the United Nations said that fault lines between various areas are now starting to heat up again. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I feel okay. like recently a lot of countries that you didn't realize had conflict are voicing their um, objections to things and saying that there's going to be conflict. And I feel like maybe they're feeling confident because everybody else is being like, oh, we're going to start a fight here. We're going to start a fight here. Yep. Every, so, everybody is doing this right now. So when I was doing the research on this, yeah. what you were saying now is exactly what I was thinking. Okay. So that all this other side like stuff yeah. is happening because of what's going on Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, these huge, these kind of huge... Azerbaijan and Armenia. Yeah. And so these other countries are going, well... Can we, well, we can have this, this tiny little conflict and then take back control of what we think we rightfully own? Because they're yes. distracted. Multiple countries are doing this right now, yep. coming out and saying this, which I guess they have a right to do so. But I mean... And we're going to keep talking about it and calling uh, them out. Okay, so anyways... Um, does this have anything to do with the Israeli strikes? Also, Israel, forgot about Israel. Right. Yeah. And we're going to get into that the a lot. The <laughs> Israeli strikes from the last few weeks. Yeah, so 100%. Is that, is that possibly yes. playing into it? Okay. So that and Russian airstrikes over opposition-held areas, um, those are the two things that are bleeding over. Okay. Um, and this all could lead to an explosion of armed conflict um, that could bleed into not those countries, but various other countries in the region. Um, I'm going to say this. Well, as, yeah, Greece is my, Greece might get invaded so, too. Yes. Sorry, I'm just like, wait. I know we're not trying to gloss me. over. We're not trying to gloss over Turkey and no, Greece. No, not but at all. From what my research, that has cooled down okay, a bit. Okay, good. Okay. So that's why we're not really Discussing. expressing it. But well, thank you for bringing it up, so that we can bring it up well, in I, here. Well, I'm, I was just like you know, mentioning all the other recent conflicts that have sprouted up since Russia decided to yep. try to take back Ukraine. So everybody else is feeling emboldened. Yep. And for every country, it is a case study that this is why we wanted to talk about Russia, Ukraine so much, mm-hmm. because it has become a case study for every other country mm-hmm. that 
is not on the scale of Russia yeah. as a superpower to do their own invasion. And you're thinking it's not as big a deal, Exactly. Probably, you know? And they're not getting the sanctions that they should get. Yeah. Um, but, like, you, you, you want to talk about Israel and their strikes. Yeah. And we've got Russia, and they're doing their strikes, yeah. their airstrikes. And I just want to say, uh, from what I have read, I think it is unlikely that we're going to see a conflict on the scale of what is happening in Ukraine or what could happen in Taiwan or North Korea and South Korea. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it is something that we need to keep an eye on um, as far as where alliances are being formed. Because I, I want to say this really quickly. What we're seeing now is alliances being formed. Everywhere. If you think about World War II Global. and the, you know, the Axis and the Allies, this is the start of alliances being formed. So it, when, you're, when you're listening to this and you're getting these countries in your mind, start to piece together who is aligning with other people when we do get to this World War III that I am saying it is going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. That's what I'm just going to say. And we're going to lock all of our kids in the basement and be like, oh, sorry, they all died of cholera or something, yeah. and they won't be able to enlist. Oh, what? Government's listening. Sorry. But that's why, so I, that's why I say this one, This conflict isn't going to be on that same scale, but yeah. it's the alliances that are. Oh, that, that's so scary. Um, well, um, with the mention of Israel, can you speak about the latest coming out of Israel in regards to the Iran nuclear deal? Yeah, so... Uh, as we mentioned over the last month, Iran publicly stated that that nuclear deal was close to the finish line, while Israel wanted the U.S. to pump the brakes on the deal. Now, Israel is asking for the original deal to be completely scrapped, and if Iran, if Iran wants a deal, they're going to need to start from scratch. So the Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz, has stated that the deal is unlikely to be renewed soon, if at all. Now, I'm sure everyone remembers that Iran and Israel have a very tenuous relationship. They, they, had, they had that. They came out and said, we'll do this, but only if you yes. follow all the... And they were all completely unreasonable. Yep, they said they were very close, but they were very unreasonable. And the Iran-Israel relationship has been pretty bad. Well, should we even call it a relationship, though? All right, so you got me on that one. It's more of an arch rivalry yeah. between the two nations, and yeah. I know that's kind of glossing over yeah, what it, it really well, is. It's not, it's not glossing over. It's kind of trivializing. Yeah, trivializing. I don't um, even know if that's the proper word. Because you just... have a country that says the other country shouldn't <laughs> exist at all. Um, yeah. But if but there are people who want that country to exist, so yeah. why? And can't we're talking it? about human okay. beings so, here. Yeah, human beings. So, all that said. And this nuclear deal is not helping any relations. I'm talking Israel, U.S., Iran, yeah. all the all the relations. Yeah. So this is all under the guise of the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly, which began this week. Um, and there's going to be tons of verbal sparring. Which As is their right to do. Right. And yeah. we both, we talked about last week. The Iranian president wants to come out and oh, talk. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to discuss all that is happening there. We're going to have full analysis of everybody's speech, um, you know, what's being said in their speeches, what's being said publicly. Also, you might get some behind the scenes of what's being said, <laughs> things well, that I can find out. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. 
for sure. Um, now you mentioned Thailand was deciding on whether they will oust their prime minister or not. What is the story there? All right, so in August, uh, Thailand's top court voted to suspend its current prime minister. Now the country plans to decide later this month, the end of this month of September, whether to completely oust the prime minister or let him retain power. What is the deal there? And are we talking about corruption or did he provoke violence? Uh, so first, I'm going to say that um, he seized power after a successful coup in 2014. Hmm. At that time, he then installed himself as prime minister. Of course. Uh, the Thailand constitution actually states that a prime minister may only lead for eight years and the country is set to decide if the prime minister has been in power for eight years. While I may not be a math genius, but from 2014 to 2022 is eight years. So what is his stupid excuse? Okay, so, all right, first. Okay. So what is interesting here? He himself actually wrote in the Constitution in 2017 that the prime minister is limited to a term of eight years. But it's after every prime minister after him. Probably. Right. So he claims yeah. that while he placed himself in power in 2014, he was actually only elected as prime minister in 2019. Right. Now, to answer your question okay. about corruption or violence, because that's always what we should talk about yeah. in these terms. Um, critics in Thailand uh, claim that there has been economic mismanagement, and that the politics in the region is still very polarized since he took office. Um, a power struggle in Thailand could actually throw the Asia-Pacific into even more chaos. And this is while we are, as you all know, are still following China's intent to invade Taiwan. Yeah. So as this power struggle plays out, it could be an opportunity for China to gain more influence in the region. Wow. Really feels like we're at a turning point in history. Actually, it's felt like that. I know. Since forever. And, like, acting like right now. No, 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 no. It's been like that for a while. But I think, so I think right now it's all coming together. To a head. Yeah. 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 Because obviously things aren't going to be, it's not going to be so cut and dry. Correct. It, it, it takes a while for yep. things to build up. But in saying that, Let's get to history's misinformation mysteries, or okay. whatever the heck you're calling this thing. <laughs> whatever month, the heck this is. History's misinformation mysteries. A history of misinformation. You know, I don't, I don't know. It works. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't even need a name. I'm also beginning to realize that I'm not good at naming things. Well, no, we're, we... You are just, good no, at no, it. No, 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 it's not about... Uh, we just like alliteration too much. That's true. Far too much. Far too honestly, much. Honestly, I don't even like how much we like it. But honestly, it's just easier for me to remember things. And it's fun. It's... <laughs> but so kind. So let's kind. just stick with All history's right. mysteries. History's misinformation <laughs> mysteries. Come on, we've got to do it. We're doing it. History's okay. misinformation mysteries. Okay, do it. And guess what? what? We're going further down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I think. Another rabbit hole. <laughs> so this is, we're going to deal with the misinformation from a once celebrated historian and author who's been pushing Holocaust denial. So think about that. I don't Doing the Holocaust denial narrative. Right. Okay. So now we are getting into the more evil aspect. Well, I don't even know if it's, I'd call it evil. I think it's just 
they don't want to face it. Yeah, kind of that could be very much I, it. I don't think it's necessarily about being evil. I think it's just people don't want to admit that humanity is capable of such a thing. But we are! We Definitely. are capable of the worst atrocities. And as we are midway through this month, Uh It is time to move from those more harmless stories, Uh the cherry tree, flat earth, those kind of things, to ones that could have a more violent impact. It's towards a specific sect of people, and it's disgusting, I think. Now, the man in question is David Irving from Essex, England. Mm. Uh, He made a name for himself covering the Allied bombing of Nazi Germany in World War II. Uh, So he was there. He was not there. He's done the research on it. But he covered the... I'm saying like World War II, he was around for World War II. No, he was not. He's a historian for World War II. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm misunderstanding. I thought you said he... I worded it wrong. Yeah, when you said covered the the bombing, I was like, well, if he was there, then... (laughs) No, I worded it wrongly. He's covered it as a historian by going back through, and we're going to talk about... I'm glad you brought that up because throughout this discussion, we are going to talk about how he used misinformation from the Nazis in order to write his historical books on Nazi Germany. He preferred to listen to what the Nazis were saying. You ready for this? Dude. Oh, come on, man. So uh, he wrote the book. This is from the book, The Destruction of Dresden. Okay. Uh, which he details hundreds of thousands of civilian deaths. Mm-hmm. And even Kurt Vonnegut. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I do too. He's such a wonderful writer. And he used in he used the destruction of Dresden yep, 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 as yep, a yep. as a reference for mm-hmm. the book Slaughterhouse Five. Yes, he did. So that's what I'm saying. Okay. Irving is quite renowned in his historical knowledge, especially in World War II. Well, he clearly shouldn't be. Okay. Now, sorry. what history later finds, mm-hmm. he's an anti-Semite. Now, you know me, and I'm telling you, Tiana, listen to me. You know me, right? Yeah. I don't use terms like that. No, you don't. Loosey-goosey, as I say. Yeah, you really don't. He is legitimately an anti-Semite. Okay, well, explain how and why are you sure that he's an anti-Semite. Not that I don't believe you, but it's always important for you to put out the sources and validate your claims, you know? I agree with you. Yeah, if you're going to say something like that. You know? I love, this. these are conversations, you guys are getting an inside into the conversations <laughs> we have at night, because I will just say this- stuff, and Tiana's like, where did you see that? <laughs> this definitely happened. So, okay. I love that you call me out. Anytime I just put stuff out there and no, try to get you angry about yeah. things. No, you would never use a word like that. Without, I don't. You would never say that without having something back it up. And you're not saying that you're an anti-Semite. You're saying this guy. This, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, please. Because I'm, I'm going to trace it back to his college career. Please. So that's where we're going to start. Irving was an editor of the student magazine, The Carnival Times, in the UK. Uh-huh. Um, when he was editor, he added a secret supplement to the magazine that put out controversial articles that, one, called Hitler the, quote-unquote, greatest unifying force Europe has known since Charlemagne. And uh-huh. listen, listen, I'm going well, off script well, he here. Did, he did bring listen, them together, though. Exactly. He did bring Europe he together. Brought, to be like, get the He fuck. was a terrible person, <laughs> but he brought Europe together. But that's not... Still. That's not what he was trying to say. He, more positive light kind of thing. Like because it? more so of what I say 
he is an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. There's other articles where he called the, uh, he said that the British press was owned by the Jews. Right. Putting in that trope of mm-hmm. the Jews control the world and they're trying to put stuff out. The world. The Not what I believe. Money. Yeah. This is what he was saying. That's why I call him an anti-Semite. Now, Irving, I'm not saying in his defense because I have no defense for him. He did attempt to deflect the early backlash by calling the uh, supplement satirical, uh, but also said that the criticism was probably justified. I feel like that's what a lot of people, like creative people these days, Yep. like if they start experiencing backlash, they immediately label it as satirical. Or to what? Kinda- it's a joke. It's a joke. But if it's a joke that's hurting somebody, it's not a joke. Yep. So those are some disgusting articles. Besides that, are there other moments of misinformation from Irving? Oh, yes, there are. We sound, uh, like, <laughs> uh, we sound like a joke. By the way, guys, we're on vacation, so. Hey, it's not, we're not joking around at no, all. No, not, we're not joking. But also, as we have said, if you're a first-time listener, here you go. Yeah. We try to bring levity to some very uncomfortable situations. And also, Which my personality, I will say... Or ri- unwelcome. Or unwelcome, yeah. Yeah. I will say I like to giggle at things that make me uncomfortable. So if you hear me giggle, a lot of times it's uncomfortable. I know that these situations are, serious. are powerful, serious situations. That's easy, not why and, you guys are here. And also, it's easy for us to laugh sitting on the effing beach in yeah. Maryland with nice 72-degree weather and no conflict on our shores. But we also are, know that... We are well aware of the fact that we are in a very privileged position. Definitely. And everyone in the U.S., if you're listening from the U.S. or the U.K., you're all in very privileged positions yeah and you should appreciate that yeah because we could be living you could be anywhere else and Any, anywhere else right now it sounds like europe is having issues northern europe we are southern. trying to get some people onto the podcast from ukraine yeah who were one of the initial people to get out of ukraine yeah the you know people from taiwan who are trying to get out yeah. um, it's very serious we know that um we're trying to bring levity and some humor to some of the things. And, and if you think we're doing it in the wrong way and you want some different type of humor, please email me. Or also you can find another podcast too. We're not trying to force you guys yep. to listen to us either. What you're going to find on this one is we're going to try to bring balance and mm-hmm. levity to all these situations and nuance where if you're watching MSNBC or Fox News, you're getting one side of the story yeah. from either one of those. I'm going to give you both, both sides. sides, and Tiana's going to be there to call me out. It's literally my only purpose. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So let's get back to David Irving. Of course, of course. But I thought that was very important to say. Um, now, you've got, um, you asked me, yeah. what are the other moments of misinformation from Irving, right? Um, yeah. That, I mean, those are nasty articles. Very nasty. Yeah. Uh, um, so he has had some works that are still considered the most accurate and complete account of Allied and German military operations. And I want to say that because what I'm trying to show here is how even these revered historians mm-hmm. 
can present misinformation and that becomes dangerous because they're trusted. Well, I mean, as someone who went to school here in America, I was never taught that Hitler killed himself. Mm -hmm. I was just taught that he disappeared and we had no idea where he was. And I didn't find out until I was in college that Hitler had shot himself in his bunker with his wife that he had just married and then poisoned his dogs. And you know, I was, com and then he had like his followers or I can't remember the name of the people who went down in the bunker with him, but they also killed yep. themselves. Didn't but that's because that? there's misinformation about conspiracy theories and that then, he's in South America, yeah, in Argentina, because places of, like because that. Because a lot of Nazis yep. did make their way to South America, but then also Thanksgiving was always a positive thing. Yep. And now you have this guy, David Irving, yeah. cited Sorry, by... Sorry, we're going all over the place. It's, I think this I... It should be said. You have this guy. He is cited by many historians. Yeah. His most famous work, uh, The Mare's Nest, mm -hmm. continues to be cited by historians. It is still factually accurate or factually correct according according to, to history. It's not actually, you know, you never know well, the we unless you there, yeah, though. Exactly. Um, but as everybody can sense um, from his time as editor of the Carnival Times. So that that's actually kind of funny that it's called the Carnival Times. Right. Because he's a joke. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's a joke now. Yeah. Um, he has quite the disdain towards the Jewish population. Now, this has led him to deny the Holocaust. And he's, this has led him to clean away the, I want to say this is his opinion. This is not my opinion. Okay, quote. Do not cut this and quote and say that I said this. Okay, quote. His quote, years of grime and discolorization from the facade of a silent and forbidding monument. He wrote a two-part Hitler biography to what he says Reveal the real Hitler, whose reputation he believed has been slandered by historians. We can go two hours on why this is wrong. Mm -hmm. But when you have someone who has so much knowledge and is a revered historian who will deny such an evil act by an evil fascist leader, that makes it very easy to lead others to deny indisputable historical events. This is honestly the easiest way for misinformation to be pervasive in a society. It's very difficult for some to question thought leaders, especially thought leaders in a particular field, because those are the people we get our trusted information from. So for a guy like Irving to be such an authority on World War II and to deny that the atrocities from the Nazi party actually happened can make Holocaust denial, vast and difficult to counter. Now, through the sands of time, historians have discovered that Irving has embellished much of the accounts of Germany during World War II. Um, his book, as we talked about, The Destruction of Dresden, is now seen as factually incorrect. So he also did, like, subsequent editions of that book that he wrote continued to lower the number of German deaths during the Allied bombings, um, as well as the fact that Irving used a document, as I mentioned earlier when you asked about it, that was promulgated by Nazi propagandists to actually formulate the numbers and facts within the book. Now, Irving remains a very controversial figure, but he has amassed quite a following among the political extremes. 
Well, luckily, we are in this day and age where everybody records records um, buying ice cream at a vendor or riding a bus. So I feel like maybe we should, I don't know, only trust the people that were there. And trust actions and not words. Actions and not Remember, we words. talked about that last week. Yeah. When somebody I says just... something, take them at their actions and not their words. <sighs> so. Just, wow. I cannot... Right? Okay, so do you have a moral or something that we should, you know, take with us about this week's historical conversation? Well, I guess it should be that just because someone is seen as an expert in a particular field, um, we should not take their word as fact without doing our... They could still have an ulterior motive, maybe. (laughs) We need to do our own research that is multifaceted and relies on facts and logic as opposed to emotion and our own beliefs. Now, I'm, I say this, but I also don't want our listeners to consider everything they hear and read as fake news. Yeah. Because to do that, just because it doesn't align with how we feel or what we feel like we know uh-huh. is not correct. Not everything, I'm, I'm going to say this now as somebody who harps on the news, the news media. Not everything in the news is a lie, but some stuff is. Be cautious and do the research. And also, if you obviously have an opinion that's swaying one way or the other, it would be easy to find something that reflects back to you what you want to hear. Because that's all over the internet. We're in the internet age. It's easy to find that stuff. Yeah, that was what we talked about with the flat earth theory. It's pervasive on Twitter. Because it's like a, a thousand, two thousand people, so it seems so vast and pervasive. Yeah. But it's really not. It's really like two thousand people considering this happening, yeah. and then some one person can look at it, read it, and go, "Well, if all these other people agree with this, it must be true." Yeah. Do the research. Yeah. And if you have any questions on anything, you can ask me. I'm not the end all, be all. You can talk to Tiana. She is not the end all be all exactly. of talk everything. To me. I don't want to I just want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not true. Anything else for this week? You know, after all that, I think we're out of time. No, actually, we are out of time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We're sorry we know we've been dragging on, but as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oaklandanalytics.com. First, I'm going to say, so the reviews on Apple and Spotify, and they have been great and all five stars, and we really do appreciate it. Um, If you're listening to this, please hit it right now. Hit Whatever you feel like, because it really does get us noticed. And so, as I always say at the end, first of all, 
Yeah. I want to thank you, Tiana, because I know this takes time out of your day and you'd rather be on the beach right now, hanging out, that having a good time. A wrong assumption about me, buddy. But until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>